Thanks for downloading show 101 of the C-Suite podcast, the first of three that we're producing in partnership with SAP UK. Uh, Now, we had originally planned to record these episodes at SAP UK's Innovation X conference that was due to take place in March, but after continued monitoring of the coronavirus, understandably, the uh, decision was made to cancel the event. However, they wanted to ensure that all the hard work that went into planning the talks didn't go to waste, and so we are going ahead with the podcast, but instead recording all our interviews online. My name is Russell Goldsmith and in this episode I'll be chatting to a number of the expert speakers who were due to talk on the topic of sustainable business. And so to kick things off, I'm joined by Stephen Jameson, Head of Sustainable Business Innovation, Amir North at SAP UK. Stephen, we're going to hear from some of the speakers you were due to share the stage with at Innovation X on topics such as how data and technology can enable a low carbon zero waste economy and how business can deliver a clean ocean. So I'm keen to get your thoughts on those, but um, I thought we could start by just setting the scene on why sustainability in business is such an important area for SAP to be championing. So actually, the topic of sustainability is really core to SAP and you know how we see the world. Um, you know our core values are to you know help the world run better and improve people's lives, and that's really been central to our mission. You know ever since our uh, formation, well over 40 years ago. And I think what we find ourselves in now is a situation where we have a climate crisis, a biodiversity crisis, a plastics crisis, a water crisis even. And the ability that you know, we have is, you know, given so much of the world's data that, that, that runs through the supply chains that helps business to operate, um, you know, 77% of the world's commerce touches one of our systems, um, you know, in the course of its life. And so uh, this data can be liberated in different ways and used in different ways in order to be able to drive the system changes that are necessary in order to deliver you know a sustainable future for the planet okay well let's let's pick up on that then in terms of the the data side of things how how can the data and insights help businesses to eliminate waste then in particular the data is actually really central to this whole conundrum you know if you look at the waste topic for example you know 61% of the world do not have access to or do not know how to use recycling infrastructure. You know, that's a result of a survey that we ran for the World Economic Forum earlier this year. And if you think about that for a moment, you know, what needs to happen? What needs to happen is investors and waste managers and you know, people that have capital fundamentally, and people that have technology to deliver that sort of infrastructure, to deliver recycling infrastructure, need to be confident to invest in that uh, infrastructure in the places where it's going to make a difference and in the communities where it will make a difference and in the, in, in the areas where waste is perhaps uh, leaking into the environment at the moment. Now, that investment, one of the challenges that we hear from investment managers and from waste managers all around the world is that currently there is just a lack of understanding. There's a lack of insight. There's a lack of really credible understanding that supply exists, that material exists, that waste exists. And um, what we see is really an opportunity to use data in a different way and use the production data that comes from organizations differently and to bring that together with intelligence through partners such as ours like Topolytics who are able to add the data sciences and intelligence to start to predict where, where waste is going. We can also use data in, in, in other ways. So we can be helping our biggest producers, you know, the, the organizations that produce all of the, the products around the world. We can help you, we can use data to help them really understand the, the sort of the materiality of what it is they're putting on the market, whether or not 
uh, items can be recycled in different markets, for example, what the obligations are that they're paying, and making sure that they've got the insight they, under, they, they need in order to be able to really understand the circularity of the products that they are putting into the market so that they can deliver on their own obligations and commitments they've made to their shareholders to bring those materials back into the supply chain. And data also allows us to help stimulate the marketplaces, the economies where currently, for example, there might be huge uh, backlogs of, of waste materials that are perfectly suitable to go into the supply chain of a particular product, but there isn't necessarily the connectivity in place to connect the businesses that need that material with maybe the informal communities, the, the, the waste picker communities um, that might be able to provide that in a sort of ethical and safe way uh, into those businesses. And so data is at the heart of this. And um, you know, critically, SAP is, is at the heart of being able to make these connections and really help enable the system changes that can find solutions. Stephen, just you're mentioning um, you know how you're working with with companies, but what about companies working together? You know, can they share their data and, and collaborate at all to drive change? Absolutely, and and uh, this is one of the really key parts of of the story. Really, is you know if you look at how systems sort of traditionally developed, where people uh, bought a procurement system or, or, or a supply chain system and then really kind of owned their data within their four walls of their you know, on-premises solution. You know, what we have now in the cloud-enabled world and a cloud environment is the ability to really open up that, that paradigm. So being able to deliver a network. And this is exactly what we have been doing over the last uh, several years with positions such as SAP Ariba and Fieldglass and uh, Conquer is really building up our capabilities in this sort of networked economy and really enabling the businesses that, um, that sit across that network to uh, manage their own data assets and their own data insights, but then being able to share those collaboratively across the supply chain. And what, and what, I mean, we're talking about business and organizations there, but you know, what about governments? You know, what do they need to do in order to you know, think, you know, promote things like sustainable business, the circular economy, waste management? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think we can we can get very quickly into a debate about you know what different governments are doing well or less well. But I think you know when you look to take a view across the world, you know the, the more progressive policies are the ones that are really getting you know, into the nitty gritty of, of of some of these challenges and putting in place the right incentives. You know, really down to the um, in, in in the case of packaging, down to the particular parts of packaging that might not be recyclable in certain areas, for example making sure that the system uh, regulations are putting in place that drive the right sorts of behaviors uh, at a detailed level throughout the supply chain, but also uh, making policy uh, decisions that are you know, reasonable and reflective of the wider agenda. Um, there's not a lot of point you know, solving one problem with a particular policy around, say, a packaging tax when that might have a consequence in terms of you know, CO2. So this again, this is where we see data as being really key to this this whole conversation because we really need policies that are going to drive a progressive agenda and really uh, reflect the planetary goals and the planetary needs and not based on sort of a populist policy. So yeah, that's uh, I think that's our view for now. I just want to change the, the the topic very slightly. I mean, obviously it's all, all related, but I mentioned at the uh, at the top of the show, you know, why we're recording this podcast online, and um, you know, Innovation X, just like so many conferences and events at the moment, and business meetings are all being cancelled due to the coronavirus. What this has meant is a lot less travel 
yet, funny enough, business does still carry on. And I've got to be sensitive as I say, you know, that because I know that there are a number of smaller businesses suffering quite a bit. But, you know, in the in the main businesses is carrying on. Do, do you think this outbreak could actually get businesses to reconsider how much, you know, we fly and commute for work? And, and do you think we'll see more business being carried on? virtually it's it's a tricky area isn't it you know we we don't really know what situation we're we're truly in at the moment but you know if i speak for the facts in front of us at the moment you know as you say people are flying less um people are traveling to events less and interestingly something i've noticed over the last couple of weeks is people are starting to engage online better and uh you know we've certainly had in our uh, experience a number of what we're previously planned as in-person workshops that we've now um, delivered online and what's actually interesting in that scenario is we've actually been able to do more in that time and you know engage with more people and engage with more customers and in our world where we're trying to drive the planetary impact and the social impact I think where, where we've kind of got to we haven't yet seen a, a challenge in our ability to be able to do that. So I think it is uncharted territory. I think none of us have ever been in this situation before. And so we're, we're, we're working it through day by day. Um, but so far, I haven't seen a reason to be negative uh, in terms of our ability to conduct business over and above the, the inherent challenges that we're facing you know, in society. Well, let's, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Let's let's hope it, it all remains a positive. Um, now, I, I want to move on to a project that I know is really close to um, your heart and uh, that you were going to speak about at the event and also that I mentioned in my intro, and that is how business can deliver a clean ocean by 2030. Uh, now, I'm going to be speaking later on in this podcast to Natasha Pergel, who has just arrived back in the UK after being part of the X Expedition Initiative, uh, which SAP are partnering. And uh, for listeners that aren't aware it involves 300 women from all walks of life sailing 38,000 nautical miles to combat ocean pollution. I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, Natasha's first-hand experience of her trip but can you just explain why SAP have chosen this initiative in particular to support? Yeah sure so one of the things that we've been working through when collaborating with our customers around the topic of sustainability is that there's a sort of natural tendency to look at what each organization can do and how they can be better and how they can move to a better place. And whilst that might be the right thing to do in each individual organizational context, when you add up all of those different commitments, you tend to find that you still end up with a problem at the planetary level and at the planetary scale. And so what we've been um, working through over the last 12 months or so is how do we start from the point of view of the lowest common denominator? How do we start from the position of ocean health? Everything that happens in the world will ultimately uh, wash through to the ocean uh, in one way, shape or form. And so we wanted to use the ocean as a kind of lens and be guided by the science, be guided by what's actually happening, what is the real impact, what is the real implication, and how do we measure that over time? How do we measure our success? And how do we measure our progress towards our goal of driving, you know, planetary level impact and a cleaner ocean by 2030. And so collaborations with um, X Expedition is a really key part of, that, of that, that whole mission, being able to get the eyes on the ocean, so to speak, and really understand what's happening, be engaged directly with the science, but then enabling that science to be brought back into the supply chains and back into the businesses that can use that insight to 
drive change themselves. And that's the real key to this. Nice one. Well, um, listen, let's let's uh, finish this off, uh, this first section of the podcast. What's the key message that you want listeners to take away? So I think, you know, if I was a general person in business that is uh, listening to this today, you know, what I would be encouraging is to think about the role that you have in business and think about the opportunities that you might have as an individual, possibly as a business traveler, you know, maybe at that level, but perhaps more realistically as an individual that could drive change or inspire change or drive some form of impact over a period of time. We've got 10 years to deliver the impacts that is necessary in order to drive a sustainable future. And every individual in business has got a role to play in that, that journey. And so I would encourage anybody to really think about what they're doing and what their role is and what their role could be in future uh, and to work together to uh, you know, drive that sustainable future. Excellent. Uh, Stephen Jameson, thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you very much, Russ. Great speaking to you. I'm now joined by Mike Barry, who until recently was the Director of Sustainable Business at Marks & Spencer, uh, having worked there for 19 years, but who now runs his own consultancy from where he advises businesses on how to prepare for and succeed in what he describes as the great sustainability disruption that will wash through the economy in the 2020s. Uh, Mike was due to speak in a couple of sessions at Innovation X on the topics of how data and technology might enable a low-carbon, zero-waste economy by 2030, and about the power of sustainable business. So we've got lots to get through. Mike, Stephen's just set the scene for us on the fact that sustainability in business is such an important area for SAP to be championing and also explained what they're doing to help their clients make an impact. Doing some research for this interview, I read the blog you had written on ethicalcorp.com outlining 10 things companies need to do over the coming years around sustainability. Obviously not expecting you to go through that whole post, um, but I thought we could start this conversation if you can quickly run through a summary of those key action points that you expect businesses to follow. Yeah, and it's it's very simple, Russ. I mean, we're coming to the end of a 40-year cycle now where business has focused on making itself a little less bad, less carbon, less waste, less water, et cetera, 2% each year. It simply is not enough to keep up with the climate crisis, biodiversity crisis, pollution plastic uh, crisis that's emerging around us. We need to move forward much quicker and, and scale much quicker the solutions to these challenges. And at the heart of all this is consumption, the sheer amount of stuff that we as a society, global society, consume. Whether it's flights, whether it's food, whether it's fashion, whether it's phones, there's just more stuff entering the, the economy, being used and thrown away. And that won't be solved by being 1% or 2% less bad each year. We need to do things very, very differently. So what we require is businesses to work alongside governments to drive change. We need business to work in partnership with each other, not just competing in the marketplace, but recognizing that we're all part of the same ecosystem. Coca-Cola and Pepsi need to work together to create a shared circular approach to plastics on the planet. The two of them working in isolation will never do it alone. We need to work in a very much more transparent way, making sure that we surface the thousands of factories, farms, fields, forests around the world that produce our goods before we put them on the marketplace. We need to work with our consumers, those 7.6 billion citizens on the planet who consume today, show them that not only do we have to change, but by changing, it's easy to live more sustainable life and it can also lead to better outcomes. So that, in essence, is the blog. It's a challenge to say we have to update positively capitalism for the, for the 21st century. We need to do it quickly and we have the solutions we need to achieve that. It's interesting, actually, just picking up on, on what you were saying there in terms of like so much stuff. I mean, you, your background, obviously, coming from m and 
one of the criticisms I've seen in terms of the fashion industry is that we don't seem to have seasonal fashions anymore. Like fashions last for about six weeks and then already on, you know, on their homepage, they've got the next item that, you know, this kind of disposable clothing that they're encouraging people to continually change. I mean, just what's your thoughts in that particular industry, given that's where you came from? Oh, it's, it's, it's a great question. And let me just frame it in numbers. I joined M&S in 2000 and the world was consuming 80 billion garments a year. Today, it's 120 billion, a 50% increase in just 20 years. And we're on the pathway to 200 billion pieces of clothing consumed each year by 2030. Now, we can't carry on like that. The sheer amount of cotton, of wood, of water, of chemicals, of, of human endeavor that goes into producing all those garments that are used and typically now 37% less than just a couple of decades ago. Now, on Instagram, you get the, the hashtag outfit of the day. People wear something once and then dispose of it. Now, that's the problem of today, but already you can start to see solutions. You can start to see resale platforms emerging, people like Depop, ThreadUp, Poshmark, Thrift Plus, where people, even if they wear it just once, can resell it and resell it and resell it again so clothing can live on. We can absolutely see new movements emerging that are telling people to either don't buy new, just buy from resale platforms or from charity shops, or if you do buy new, wear it for at least 30 times before you resell it, they'll throw it away. So the, already the challenge to business models that are based on just consuming and selling more stuff every year are there. And any business model from the past that just thinks it can carry on growing in terms of units of stuff in the fashion industry has got a rude awakening. And I think very soon of the next three, four, five years, you'll start to see the people based upon selling lots more stuff starting to suffer. And those that are based upon lifetime value for the consumer, clothes that last, clothes that can be repaired, clothes that can be resold, that can be rented they will be the people that prosper in the future uh, well I, I should have pointed out if listeners want to read that full poster that, that you did just uh, they can just search online for mike barry ethical corporation and uh, they should find the link but um i want to move on to the topic of data again Stephen talked about this in our chat earlier but i'm keen to hear you know your first-hand experience of how data drove mns's plan a which for those unaware, um, is the company's eco and ethical program that they describe as tackling both today's and tomorrow's sustainable retail challenges. And I know something uh, that you played a pretty key uh, role in its development and implementation. And for the audience, I'm smiling here because I wish I'd had the tools that people at SAP can provide now to help me solve those challenges. Marks & Spencer is a relatively small retailer. It only sells 3 billion products a year. 3, million it- 3 billion items. That's relatively, sm- that's relatively small. <laughs> that's relatively small. I mean, Walmart's yeah. 25 times bigger than M&S. So yeah, actually, yeah, it's good to put that in, in context. Yeah, sorry. Now, remember, those, those billions of items are coming from thousands of factories, tens of thousands of farms, thousands of cotton fields, forests, fisheries, to track and trace uh, all those products in the old paradigm of using a spreadsheet impossible. You'd have 200 people filling in spreadsheets that were hugely inaccurate. What was the point? Today, with big data, with AI, with machine learning, we can start to really scrape the transparency and evidence of how these products are produced, where they're produced, and how we can improve them very efficiently. And more than that, we can then take that knowledge usefully to the consumer to inform them about the history of the product and where it's come from and what they should do to make sure its use phase and ultimately disposal phase is the most sustainable possible. So to me, technology for good in the widest sense and data within that, big data and the services that SAP provide, is right at the heart of a sustainable future. Um, 
You now coach business leaders to help them respond to you know, all the issues that, that we're discussing in terms of disruption to their business around sustainability. I think I can safely say, I hope, hope this is all right to say, but I think we're both of a certain age. Um, so I, I know I've made attempts to change the way that, that I do like business at, and improve my own lifestyle as well to be a little bit more sustainable. I'm, you know, I'm far from there yet. But I, I just couldn't imagine the difficulty and pressure company leaders must be under to turn these huge multinational organizations around quickly enough to satisfy those who are publicly criticizing them and and obviously the expectation of the the wider public. What reactions are you seeing from the people you meet? And and also, I guess the big question is, do you believe the leaders of today can deliver? Well, well, Russ, I mean, the, the marketplace is always cruel. It will never give you the time that you believe is incumbent that you're required to change digitally or in terms of sustainability or anything else. But I would say to any incumbent business today, you need to move fast, partly because the pressure from not just from NGOs and regulators and uh, investors is growing, a professional audience, but the pressure from consumers, the people who buy our products is growing. Now, what people are saying is, of course, they're not willing to pay a green premium for green products. Well, why should they? Why should you pay more for a product that has not exploded people and planet? If that's what I'm selling today, that's my job to solve. And what consumers are saying is, I want it all. I want great products at great prices with great service, great convenience, but I also want it to be tremendously more sustainable. So people like Tesla on electric cars, Allbirds on, um, on trainers, people like Impossible Meats, Beyond Meats are starting to offer the consumer tremendously good products that are very much more sustainable than the past. If you do not respond to that as an incumbent, consumers will just flock to the alternative. You know, you've got no God-given right to, to, to survive. So when I'm talking with chief execs and uh, and their boards about sustainability, I ask them just three simple questions. Why do you need to do sustainability? What do you need to commit to do? And how are you going to integrate it into your business? The why is the strategy piece we've just talked about. If you don't respond, somebody else will outsell you with better products and services, good for the consumer, good for the planet and people. The what is where people dash to very quickly and probably too soon. What's my climate target, my waste target, my water target? All those things are necessary, you've got to change, but actually that's the simplest part of the journey. Because the third question is the hard one. How do you integrate sustainability into a busy organization consisting of tens of thousands of people spread across the world in thousands of different locations, dealing with all the short-term pressures of today, whether it's austerity, whether it's Brexit, whether it's coronavirus, help. There's lots of reasons why you keep your head down and hunker down and just hope for the best. The best businesses, and I'm seeing lots of them now, you know, sat with the team at SAP doing exactly this. You've got firmly today in dealing with today's challenges and crises. You've got firmly in the near future preparing for a radical disruption of your business model. And keep asking why, what, how, and you'll be okay. And what about governments, though? What do you think they need to do to promote um, sustainable business, the circular economy, and also waste management? Well, government's got a really important role to play, Russ. I mean, firstly, they've got to put into place the long-term policy incentives uh, and framework against which business can invest for long-term. And the UK's commitment to be net zero by 2050 is a great example. This is where we need to be in 30 years' time. We're not going to back away from it. You as a business can start to invest against five-year carbon budgets from the Independent Committee on Climate Change and prepare for great investment to deliver great change. So I think that's a point to what we need to do on similarly on plastics, the circular economy, and also in dealing with the biodiversity crisis. We need the same long-term policy structure against which business can invest. 
The second thing governments can do is very much about the taxation system. Again, you saw in the UK budget quite recently announcement to um, increase taxes on plastics that don't contain recycled plastic content. It's driving business to think differently about what it does with, with tax and fiscal incentives. The third thing government does is invest in infrastructure, whether it's an electric charging network, whether it's a rail infrastructure, uh, new energy systems. Governments can really incentivize the infrastructure that business needs to prosper and do things sustainably in the future. The fourth thing government does is very much about R&D and making sure that governments uh, around the world are investing in solving the world's big problems to for which we don't have solutions today. The fifth thing governments, national governments can do is work together. And we, we've got COP26 coming up in Glasgow at the end of, of this year in the UK. Really important that business is stepping forward to support national governments at quite troubling times around the world to say, we support strong action on climate change because if we do, society and the economy that we all depend upon will be in a better place through that action. So we support strong government action. And then just bringing all that together into one very detailed example, the Global Resources Initiative, something that the UK government has launched, has brought civil society policymakers and government and business together in the same room to co-create um, the systems we need to tackle deforestation in global UK supply chains. So the palm oil systems, the soil systems, the cocoa, the coffee, causing deforestation on the other side of the world. What do we need to do collectively, and I stress the word collectively, to stop that from happening? There's just a few things there for them to get on with. <laughs> Keep them busy. Absolutely. Well, um, in terms of businesses, ho- hopefully we've got some senior leaders and, well, in fact, anyone within within the company listening who can influence I- internally. What do you want them to do right now to integrate sustainability into their business? I want people to lift their heads and realize that amongst a lot of the short-term pressures today, which are huge, let's not forget, you know, coronavirus, Brexit, they're enormous challenges for a UK business um, to deal with. For global businesses, they'll have their own short-term challenges as well. So I want businesses to lift their head and spot the trends here. Consumers, citizens are asking for us to do things very differently, not a little bit differently. And people are starting to innovate and create new business models that satisfy that demand. And if you sleepwalk into the next three to five years, you'll suddenly wake up into the next business crisis for you, which is that your marketplace has disappeared. You used to be in coal, but the world's moved to wind. You used to be in diesel cars, the world's gone electric. You used to be in a meat-based diet, and it's gone to the world's plant-based. And, you know, people only have to read one provocative report online by Rethink X, a think tank, and it's postulated that 50% of the US beef industry will be wiped out next decade, not just by a plant-based diet, but largely by lab-based grown meat. And that will be partly for ethical, safety, and quality reasons. Again, coronavirus will drive food production into these sealed systems, but fundamentally because it will ultimately be cheaper than normal meat. Anybody who's not preparing for these radical shifts, again, will be left behind. So I say to anybody, lift your head, ask that question why, ask that question what, ask that question how and you'll be prepared for the radical change that's coming. Mike this has been um, absolutely brilliant your passion clearly comes through in terms of this uh, this topic area if, if anyone wants um, to find out more information on, on any of the aspects that you've been talking about where's the best place for them to go? Well there's two places um, on Twitter plan A Mike Barry and on LinkedIn people can track me down as well um, you know 35,000 people following out there on, on LinkedIn and, you know, sharing ideas and challenges about the, the, the great shift that we need. You know, fundamentally, I'm excited about the future. There's lots of reasons why we should be worried about the future. But if businesses step forward and help bring solutions to these great challenges that societies have and people have, 
they will prosper. Uh, Mike Barry, uh, thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csweetpodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favorite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. Welcome back to the C-Suite Podcast that we're recording in partnership with SAP UK. And I'm really excited about this next interview as joining me online is Natasha Pergel, SAP UK's Sustainability Business Innovation Lead, who, as I mentioned earlier in my chat with Stephen Jameson, has this week returned from what sounds like the most amazing trip as she's just taken part in leg seven of X Expedition, the initiative that SAP are partners of that is exploring the science of and solutions to ocean plastic. Uh, Tash, welcome to the show. Uh, Stephen told us a little bit of the background as to why SAP have chosen to support this initiative, but given you're the one that's been out there on the open seas, uh, first off, I thought it'd be good if you can just explain a little bit about the initiative itself and uh, where Leg7 took you. Yeah, brilliant. Hi, Ross. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, Yeah, it's been really exciting. Uh, A few days ago, I just got back from Easter Island. Um, Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) You don't often say that in a sentence. Um, and, and I was part of Leg 7. Um, so X Expedition is around the world series of 30 voyages um, that will see 300 women in total sail around the world looking at um, kind of ocean plastic uh, and toxics in our ocean. And this was co-founded by Emily Penn, who's a skipper um, and ocean advocate and very inspiring. And I was lucky enough um, to take part, uh, really enjoyed kind of sailing. And in terms of the background of X Expedition and, and SAP, we're very excited because just before I left for the voyage, SAP announced our partnership. And this is really important. This is one of our purpose um, driven partnerships because we want to help um, businesses be more sustainable. And from the science on board, we want to be able to share this with, with our customers because it helps us better understand the problem of what plastic and how much are actually in the ocean. So as part of our sponsorship of Emily, um, we'll be building a kind of a a custom built digital platform to help better connect their ambassadors um, to help inspire them and to take action. And we're also taking all of the insights from the science done on board and sharing those with our with our customers and ecosystem. And what about, you know, what you actually saw in terms of the issues you were researching? Yeah, so when we went to Galapagos, the expedition team took us to a beach that's not visited by tourists. So we went there by boat and we had to climb across these jagged rocks to reach it. And we did a beach clean for a couple of hours across like a hundred meter kind of area of of the sand. And because this beach isn't visited by tourists, it was quite shocking to find this bottle with a toothbrush inside with a lid cap screwed on. So this has only come from the ocean. So this was someone else's toothbrush once upon a time, and there it is in one of the world's um, most beautiful places. And then likewise, when we got to Easter Island, we did the same um, kind of research, and we found that one of the one of the beaches um, had all these p- tiny pieces of microplastic. So microplastic is kind of a tiny uh, fragment of plastic that's about the same size as your fingernail. And Easter Island is 2,300 miles away from the coast of Chile. You are we were in the most, the world's most remote inhabited island. So it's it, it's very shocking to see that um, problem firsthand. And then whilst we were on the voyage, so we were on the sea for two weeks, um, we did science every day. So we had Winnie, who's ex-expedition science lead. And we were really doing um, two types of science activity. Um, one was uh, kind of using these Niskin bottles, which you drop into the ocean and you're looking at microplastics that are found in the water column so a bit deeper down than in the surface and then you're also looking at the surface as well and we had the opportunity to to analyze those pieces of plastic on board 
So we were sailing through the South Pacific and we also went through the South Pacific gyre, which is where the microplastics tend to accumulate. And actually in that gyre, we found uh, five times uh, more plastic than other parts of the ocean. And again, you know, in that two week period, we only saw one boat. Uh, we didn't see any planes. Um, we saw lots of beautiful animals. So you're really thinking, there's no one around like where has this come from this has actually floated here um from the land so just kind of combination of land and sea it's very shocking to find um that plastic through doing that science research on board yeah that's what i was going to ask i mean that that that's absolutely crazy that you're finding this stuff on on you know on, on the beach like the bottle with the, the toothbrush and stuff i mean what what's the reaction how does there, how does everyone feel when you actually see that that you know you're in this most amazing beautiful location and then there's this bit of plastic floating through the sea i mean what what's the reaction yeah, I mean, X Expedition is sailing through um, some of these very small islands that haven't got very good um, waste infrastructure. So we actually presented some of our science findings to the local community, so the, the kind of Rapa Nui community. And um, it's quite hard to be able to talk about these findings because you're seeing this local community, you know, realise the impact of, of what's kind of floating in from the sea, um, which, you know, is very kind of dear to them because it's part of their home and their um Kind of background and history so it's quite difficult to actually talk about that that um kind of the science that you find um which is different when you present it to a more developed country because the problem's kind of shifted somewhere else and there's better infrastructure but it just means that the problem is kind of unseen so it's, it's, it was difficult to to share that with them but how does it make you feel when you see when you see that yeah, it makes you feel uncomfortable, it makes you feel kind of accountable, uh, makes you realise yeah. that it's everybody's problem. And, you know, in the UK, I think sometimes we, we tend to say, oh, blame the retailers and let's take our plastic um, back to supermarkets. But when you're in that environment, you realise everyone has this responsibility to shop um, responsibly and make much more conscious decisions. Yeah. And uh, how did you end up on the boat? <laughs> were, you, were you volunteered? Did you volunteer? How, how <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, really through our involvement with uh, SAP and our partnership with X Expedition. So it's really through our, our sponsorship and very grateful to SAP for letting me go on uh, such an incredible adventure. Amazing, very jealous. And, and why an all-women crew? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's awesome to, that it's all women, um, especially the skipper, Anna, who's actually joy doing the two-year voyage. Um, and I really think women are still underrepresented, um, you know, in sailing and also STEM careers and science careers. And I know that X Expedition is passionate about providing those female role, role models in the fields through all, the, all of the women that take part on board. And also, I know that Emily did a, a test on her own blood to see what plastic kind of toxics were coming up. And uh, I think that of the 30 or so banned chemicals in the US, actually 29 came up. Oh, my God. Uh, she realized that, um, you know, this has got a big impact on women and actually a big impact on hormones due to these endocrine disruptors and actually plastic mimicking our own kind of hormones and the impact of what that could mean for, um, you know, if you're pregnant or you're passing this on to children. So it's just another factor for why the inspiration for this trip and, and why she wanted to um, bring women together to try and look at how to solve it. So you're now back in the UK. How do you relate everything that you've seen and learned to the day job? Yes, yeah, so my role is um, customer facing. I'm part of our innovations team. So my role is working with um, Stephen and, and lots of other colleagues, uh, both in the UK and then also in North America and Australia. And really, it's, it's understanding the problem firsthand. So um, at the heart of this problem is people and those people are making decisions in their kind of individual everyday life, but then also as business leaders as well. So it was amazing to be able to 
understand the problem firsthand, um, to actually take part in the science, to be able to then take those insights and communicate those through stories and through um, kind of sharing the findings with all of the businesses that we work with. Because our goal is really to, um, you know, we have a zero waste ambition. We really want to help businesses maximize, you know, all of the finite resources that we have available to us on Earth, especially in support of our clean ocean commitment, which again is the reason why we wanted to partner with Emily to kind of connect to um, the problem. So in terms of relate to what I've seen, I mean, most of my job before I kind of went on the trip was working with business and understanding what are the challenges and opportunities they face in moving to a more circular economy from a linear system that is broken, but also works very well today, both for growth and for financial advantage. So really it was, I've been able to connect to the issue um, myself and kind of realize um, what my superpower is. So you do a lot of workshops on board to think about what's my own individual role to play. And the role is definitely around communication and, and working with SAP to help bring people together and solve this because there isn't just one solution um, to the problem. What I was going to ask, though, is, I mean, when you're talking about microplastics being in the most remote parts of our oceans and obviously doing some research around this before before doing this podcast um some of the stats that sap have put out about the fact that you know there could be one million times more microplastics floating in our oceans than previously thought do you worry that we're too late very hopeful that we're not too late um very optimistic about this i think that with people um kind of connecting through collective action that we're going to be able to make a difference so you know, I think everyone's familiar with the statistic from Ellen MacArthur around by 2050, you know, there's a danger that there'll be more plastic than fish in the oceans. But I really think that through working together, technology and innovation, we can help to make a difference because it's it's by doing this that we will have better transparency. And we've already seen, you know, everything to do with coronavirus has kind of accelerated the need to move to um, a different way of working, a different way of purchasing, a different way of traveling. So I'm, I'm hopeful that people will be able to come together and, and be able to solve this. And what about governments? I mean, one of the things we're, we're asking you know, everyone on, on this episode is, is what governments need to do in order to promote things like sustainable business, the circular economy, waste management. What's your thoughts on that? So we've already started to see um, some new regulation come in. So as part of the UK budget this week, they announced a packaging tax, which will come into force in 2022. So this type of uh, regulation is going to impact consumer product companies and retailers and other people that produce goods. So government plays that important role. And we've seen that if there's just voluntary measures in place, then businesses uh, kind of doesn't have that incentive to move quickly. So they need to, you know, they are responding to um, citizen action and protests. And we've seen that sometimes they kind of come into force with regulation um, after Kind of global protests and when it comes to waste management as well um we know how difficult it is to recycle in the uk so i know so much about recycling labels and, and even though i know a lot about this topic it's still confusing for me to know what to recycle whether i'm at home or if i've picked up kind of a sandwich on the go um, so it's still very confusing and, and government needs to play um a part in helping to make that easier and, and help to you know mandate the type of infrastructure we need in the future Okay, well, let, let's return to the sailing then. Um, best bit and rather than say worst bit, let's say most challenging bit. I think the most challenging thing is someone that's never sailed before and takes on the challenge of crossing an ocean in two weeks is really the first few days. So you're kind of overwhelmed, you're meeting lots of new people and you're still a professional part of the crew. 
So the X Expedition program uh, is really comprehensive. You're a member of the profession, you know, member of the crew, which means you're taking the helm, you're cooking, you're cleaning. And at times you're a bit nervous about taking the helm um, to steer the boat because you just have this realization that you're in the middle of the, the ocean and you're actually steering the boat, uh, which is awesome. And then you kind of find your sea legs, something magic happens. And you kind of have these incredible conversations with all of these women on board because you're all disconnected from technology and news and the outside world. And it just really helps you to, to appreciate nature and, and actually understand you know, more about the problem of, of plastics. So everyone there is really motivated to help solve the problem. So the best bit is really the kind of interactions that you have with you know, the women on board and also learning how to sail. Um, and just in terms of nature, just being blown away at night time, you're seeing the most beautiful stars. And then uh, kind of in the day, you're being able to see these incredible um, sunsets and, and kind of really, you know, stopping um, to slow down and appreciate nature and, and kind of see the, the birds or the dolphins that are swimming uh, alongside you. Sounds so amazing. I'm so jealous. Are you, are you desperate to get back out there then? It's so funny. It's like finishing a, a marathon or a race. And at the time, you're like, no, I can never do this again. You know, one ocean crossing is enough. And then a few days later, I'm already thinking, I need to go on the Thames Clipper or I need a fit. <laughs> so I'm going to do my competent crew course. I'm kind of inspired to, to keep up the sailing. I might probably just go to the med maybe in the summer. But I definitely want to keep up sailing wow. because it's really a fantastic sport. Very good. Um, okay, uh, Tash, here's your chance. Um, having seen what you've seen over the last couple of weeks, what do you want listeners to act on in their businesses? I think it's a realisation that, you know, everybody needs to take action around this we all have a responsibility and that starts with the choices that you make uh, with the things that you buy to eat you know your food and uh, you know everyday items like the toothbrush and you know maybe I don't need to buy as many clothes and do I need all of this stuff so I think it really starts at home um, I also think there's a big part to play around education um, so it feels like there's a lot of resources out there but via kind of SAP and uh, kind of the media and also the ex-expedition website there is a lot of guidance around you know, the choices that we can make and also, you know, the policies that are coming into force. So I think everybody should kind of try and take a role in that. And then in terms of acting, thinking about kind of cover the individual, but then what's my superpower in the business? Um, you know, if I'm a creative person, how can I try and use those storytelling skills I have to share my thoughts about the plastic pollution topic? And if I'm a business leader, you know, how can I contribute to the circularity of design to make better products? depending on what your role is, it could be helped to make sure regulation goes faster. So I think even in our own way, across disciplines, we still have a role to play. And that's really important in all of us working together to you know, solve the problem. Absolutely tremendous. Thank you for that. that was, um, really enjoyed that. Really good chat. Yeah. And um, as I said, extremely jealous of your, uh, of your trip, but good luck with uh, you know, delivering on, on all those things that you've now got to take back to all the, all the clients. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, I'm kind of still coming back down to earth, so to speak, from um, the trip. So it's been nice to actually talk about, you know, the best bits of sailing and also how we're taking it forward at SAP. Um, and if you want to find out more about X Expedition, you can visit their website, xexpedition.com. And then I think all the other links will be in the show notes. Yes, we will definitely do that. 
So our final guest on this episode is Julian Hunt, Vice President for Public Affairs, Communications and Sustainability at Coca-Cola European Partners GB. Uh, Julian was due to give a talk at Innovation X with the title The Road to Zero, where he was going to be talking about how his company is responding to the challenges that the beverage sector is facing over its environmental impact and what the sector overall should be doing. Uh, So welcome to the podcast, Julian. Uh, I'm assuming the zero you are referencing in the title of your talk covers a number of different areas. Yes, that's absolutely right, Russell. We, um, as a business, we've got a, a very clear sustainability strategy that we call uh, This Is Forward, and it focuses our efforts on six key areas where we think action uh, is needed. And three of those are particularly relevant to the zero reference, and that's around our portfolio, where we're looking at ways to reduce the amount of sugar uh, in the products that we sell. Uh, it's about the packaging where we really want to get to a zero waste position so that all the packaging we put uh, on the market is recovered. So more is recycled and none goes to waste. And also increasingly, we're putting a lot of focus on climate. And there's a lot of talk at the moment now of how do businesses and how do governments move the economy towards a net zero greenhouse gas emissions uh, situation. Um, and uh, there are three other key areas of focus which are related in many ways. Uh, one is around what we do across our supply chain. Uh, the other area is around how we really are a good steward of the water that we use in our products. And the last one is about the positive impacts we should be having in the communities where we operate as a business. And can you go into just a little bit more detail into some of those aspects? Yeah, when I think of the actions we're taking on packaging, there have been three really big key areas of focus for us. The first is making sure our packaging is as sustainable as it can be, and that's a focus on resource efficiency, but also making sure everything we put on the market is recyclable and also has as much recycled content uh, as possible. So at the moment, we've just transitioned one of our products, Smart Water, to 100% recycled PT bottles, and we're going to move the rest of our PET bottles to 50% recycled content by the summer of this year. Why can't we move everything to 100% at the same time? Well, we, we want to do that. But the truth is the current recovery and recycling infrastructure here in Britain isn't good enough. So the second pillar of our strategy is all about championing reform of the recycling systems uh, in this country. And that includes, for instance, really being an advocate of the introduction of new systems such as deposit return schemes, which are prevalent in lots of other markets where we operate. And then the third bit of our strategy is how do we communicate the importance of recycling to our consumers, both on our packs, in our advertising and through uh, our campaigns. So those are the things that we've really been focusing on as a business. And then on drinks, our portfolio Really proud of the efforts we've taken over the last four years to reduce sugar. We've taken out over 22% sugar across our portfolio in that time. And two-thirds of what we sell is low or no sugar. And when it comes to climate and our moves towards a net zero situation, we have still got a long way to go. Uh, We're looking at how uh, we stretch our business to go further and faster, but equally proud of the efforts that we've made. Um, to reduce the carbon impact of our entire value chain. And we've, we've taken that down by more than a third 
uh, in the last five years. So lots happening across all three areas. The goal is clear. We want to move towards net zero positions uh, and that work really does continue. Just picking up on the bit about the health side and, and you talking about you know the, the sugar reduction. I mean, if I wanted to let's say really challenged one could say if you really cared about getting to zero on, on you know on, on that why not just stop selling the classic coke you know and, and just pick you know just focus on diet coke or coke, or coke zero yeah it's a great question and, and i guess it comes down to the fact that we're we're here to uh, produce and sell the products that our consumers want to buy we want to make it as easy uh, as possible for them to make the right choices for them and their family and for many people products like Coke Classic play a really important part in their diets. I mean, we certainly have seen that with the strength and popularity of Coke Classic uh, in recent years. I mean, we took the decision when the UK government uh, opted to introduce uh, soft drinks tax in um, 2018. We took the decision not to reformulate Coke Classic, but to really make sure that Coca-Cola Zero Sugar was as close as you could get to the taste and the mouthfeel of, of our iconic brand, but obviously with no sugar. And actually what we've seen is the popularity and strength of Coke Classic uh, has remained, uh, whilst we've seen dramatic growth in our Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. And in fact, in GB, we're the first country in the world where more than half of the Coca-Cola that we sell in the market is our Zero Sugar options. Okay. Um, given we're producing the podcast in partnership with SAP uh, UK, as you can imagine, data is a core topic um, that, that features. What I was keen to understand is what role data plays in your road to zero, but also if and how you collaborate with other companies in your sector. And if you do, does that include your competitors? I mean, data is at the heart of, uh, of everything that we, uh, we do as a business, particularly in this space on sustainability i mean it is it's a bit of a tired cliche now but you know if you don't measure it you don't know what it is you're going after to to tackle so uh, data and facts and insights are critical to driving the business changes that uh, that we want in uh, in cocola european partners and collaboration is absolutely a, a key part of that you know this is a hugely competitive industry and i think that's one of its strengths but many aspects of policy development on sustainability require collaboration within sectors and across sectors, particularly on issues like climate change or indeed recovery uh, of packaging. So we're seeing at the moment with the drive to introduce deposit return schemes across uh, the United Kingdom, that businesses are really having to come together to drive that agenda forwards. And so we're working with other producers of beverages, but also trade associations and government to drive forward things like DRS. Obviously, uh, we're seeing quite a lot in the news about um, some environmental uh, activists being pretty critical of uh, not just governments, but of business leaders too, uh, saying they're not acting quickly enough in getting to net zero, but actually what they're saying is net zero isn't enough, that they're asking for real zero. What's your response to that? I think businesses here in the UK have, have really been at the forefront of the discussions about so the climate crisis. Certainly we're part of a, a broad coalition of organisations that come together under the Prince of Wales's Corporate Leaders Group. 
and have been very, very active and very vocal in encouraging governments to adopt uh, net zero policy frameworks um, and have been very, very active in trying to define what that means, the implications of that and what that means for businesses and also uh, for consumers as we transition very quickly uh, in order to uh, ensure that we hit a 1.5 degree trajectory for the planet towards net zero carbon emissions. And I have to say that the governments across Britain have also led the way in many ways in this respect by enshrining in law the concept of net zero. Now, does it go far enough? Is it quick enough? I think we can have a debate about that, but we have to get started. We have to embrace the concept and we have to drive forwards what will be some pretty dramatic changes for businesses, but also uh, for citizens as we migrate as quickly as we can towards this net zero concept. So one thing we're asking all our guests on, on the podcast is what do you think governments need to do in order to promote sustainable business, the circular economy and waste management? What we're certainly seeing here in the United Kingdom is the government's across Britain are actually embracing many of those concepts already. It's taken a long, long time to get issues such as extended producer responsibility or deposit return schemes or reform of household waste collection high back up on the agenda for businesses and for politicians. But we're there now. We've got um, in Westminster, we've got the Environment Bill is going through Parliament and that will address many issues that are of concern for businesses, but also for communities. And I can see we will have some uh, leading policy interventions coming out of that, which we see as an opportunity and potentially a really good thing. If I look towards Scotland, there's also a very active policy agenda there on all issues to do with circularity, but specifically uh, we're expecting very soon to see regulation on the implementation of a deposit return scheme for beverage containers in Scotland. That comes with challenges, but also, I think, uh, opportunities for business potentially as well. And we've always said well-designed DRS is one way of ensuring uh, that we get back the beverage containers that are put on the market so that they can be uh, recycled. And equally, Wales, the Welsh Government are also uh, right now consulting on their own policy development for a circular economy. So I think after years when there has been absolutely a bit of a policy void here, the politicians have in in recent years stepped up. And and I feel really optimistic that we're going to see a a once-in-a-generation opportunity to actually change things for the better so that we get better environmental outcomes for communities, for businesses, but hopefully uh, for the planet as well. Okay, so just finishing off, you've got the final word on the podcast, Julian. What's the key takeout that you wanted to leave listeners with? I think everybody who's kindly taken the time to to listen to this podcast will probably agree with me that one of the big changes that we've all seen in recent years is how sustainability really has become mission critical for any forward-thinking, responsible business. And I think that has to be at the heart of all your decision-making as a commercial organisation. And yes, there are very specific issues for us in the beverage sector, but the same principles apply. And uh, I think 
we're seeing good examples of companies like ours trying to embrace some very difficult issues and show genuine leadership in terms of how we respond and take up the challenges that are there for society. Julian, thanks for all that. If any um, listeners want to find out more about Coca-Cola's This Is Forward plan, where can they find all that? Yeah, very simple. Go to our website, which is ccep.com, and you'll find a tab for sustainability, and uh, you'll find all you need to know there. Tremendous. Uh, Julian Hunt, thanks for joining the podcast. And in fact, that wraps up this episode for SAP UK. So thanks once again to all my guests who, despite uh, Innovation X being cancelled, still took the time to join us online to record their interviews. So that's Stephen Jameson, Mike Barry, Natasha Pergel, and of course, Julian just now. And if you want to hear more interesting stories from the world of IT and business, then please do check out SAP UK's new Innovation X podcast series, which is available on SAP UK and Island channels. Plus, you can follow them on Twitter for their latest news and updates which is simply at SAP UK Island. There'll be two more episodes related to Innovation X to follow this one where we'll be covering the topics of experience management and productivity so make sure you look out for those on your podcast feed Uh, but in the meantime we hope you've got a lot out of this episode and we'd love to hear any comments you may have on the topic of sustainable business so if you'd like to contribute to the discussion you can do that on our Facebook page, Twitter feed or LinkedIn and Instagram pages which are all linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads of each episode via your favorite podcast app and if you've enjoyed the podcast please do give us a positive rating and review Uh, finally if you'd like to get in touch with the show you can do that via the contact form on the website as well or connect with me on twitter using at ross goldsmith or you can find me on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye Mm -hmm.